Before we begin today's episode, we would like to thank our sponsor, Swanshaw, the UK's finest purveyor of kitchens and shop fronts alike. Please consider visiting Swanshaw on Instagram. You can find them under at Swanshaw. Now to today's episode. Hello and welcome to The Therapy Files. We are back for another episode and of course I am joined by my dear friend Callum. Hello Craig, you okay? Hello Callum and we are actually joined by next door's cat also. Fluffy and she certainly is fluffy. Hello Fluffy. Yeah, today we're going to discuss asylums, are we not? We certainly are. Yes, and this will be a two-part episode, part A and part B. Um, Part A, we'll look at asylums and the history of mental health um, treatment. And part B, uh, next week, we'll look at um, current treatment. Definitely. I think it follows on nicely from the disability series, doesn't it, Craig? Certainly. I'm glad that you chose this topic. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, guys. We're just making sure the cat doesn't knock over the tea. Very important. <laughs> and the notes, which is, she's just done, haven't you, sweetheart? Yes, you have. Um so yeah, I think it's very important that we look at asylums because they're such a significant part of history, such a massive part of mental health, and such a massive part of disability as well. Of course, um, and we've you know we've very much looked at Irving Goffman, who wrote heavily on that in his book Asylums. There's a few other people in there as well. So we hope you really like this episode. Um, we think it's going to be a good one. Yeah, absolutely. I think it'll be very uh, eye-opening for a lot of people, who, particularly who have an interest in that as well. Sure, I agree. So I will start by reading the first thing. Lunatic asylums, I want to put out this straight away, this is in hyphens, these are not my words, were first created in the mid-19th century in Britain. That is not to say that places did not already, already exist to treat the mentally ill. The most notorious and oldest of these asylums was London's Bethlehem Royal Hospital, otherwise known as Bedlam, first established in 1247. So notorious, in fact, that it is still used in phrases today to describe something that is chaotic. I'm sure you've heard that before, haven't you, Great. Absolutely. The place is Bedlam. Yeah, that comes from the very infamous asylum. As a sociologist, Craig, what, what does what does asylums do for you? Is it is it, is it something that you guys studied, or because I know Goffman's a huge sociologist, isn't he? Yeah, particularly in sociology, we didn't study it. However, I would say that Goffman's asylums particularly came to me more so in English literature, okay, because we I studied a module on representing madness. Mm-hmm. And particularly, we looked at the idea of institutionalisation. Yes, exactly. Particularly, um, obviously, with popular culture references, I can remember looking at the idea of institutionalisation in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Okay, yeah, it's a very, very famous film with Jack Nicholson, yeah. isn't it? It's uh, even, even that though, if you think of the, if you think of the name of the the film Cuckoo's Nest, it's, mm. it's another word we use to describe the mentally ill, and it's quite quite depraved, really, isn't it? Somebody's cuckoo. Yeah, certainly, Goffman certainly did come up in sociology, but not particularly asylums. In that sense. That's really interesting, Craig, because in criminology, it was massively predominant. We had a whole module on mental health and representations of criminals in mental health. And one of the biggest places that occurred, poor representation, was in asylums. Mm -hmm. Um, Often criminals were taken to asylum for just doing petty theft, for example. And it was about how the mentally ill were then perceived through the rest of the wider population Mm. because of them being in these lunatic asylums. Yeah, it's the idea of public perception, isn't it? Certainly, yeah, certainly. And 
I think asylums, as we're going to kind of discuss here, are very fascinating places, but also very harrowing places. I, I agree. Mm. Um, but kind of going off where we talked about Bedlam before, um, Broadmoor is another notorious asylum, which still operates actually as a modern mental health hospital for the criminally insane in Berkshire, England. So that's actually still operational. Mm-hmm. And I think I think as far as I'm aware, Broadmoor has housed several infamous criminals. Um, Peter Sutcliffe comes to mind, the Yorkshire Ripper. I'm pretty sure that Ronnie Cray of the Cray Twins was in there. And mm-hmm. Kenneth Irks, uh, Irk, I can never say his name, Erskine, who was also known as the Stockwell Strangler, another serial killer, was housed there. So it's still being used, even though the old, the old side of it's been kind of torn down now. It's now reopened as a modern mental health hospital. I think I think if we're right, Craig, this is following the Care in the Community Act, isn't it? In the 1980s, um, asylums were closed and then reopened as hospitals. Um, people who are now detained in psychiatric hospitals are done so, as of course, under the Mental Health Act 1983, which was also revised in 2007 as well. And also, that happens under the Mental Health Act 2005? Yes, that sounds, that sounds Also right. as well. I, I do there was one, there's been, I mean, I know there's been several revisions to it. There was one, I think, earlier as 2017 as well. I know it's something that, a bit like the, um, the Equality Act, it's been constantly revised, isn't it? Yeah, I just remember something being in, something being in, in 2005. I can't remember okay, particularly what fine. it was. We could always put it in for the listener to, at the bottom or something if we, if we, sure, if it's yeah. quite per, you know, per, yeah. yeah. The 1983 Act, anyway, argues that a person can be admitted, treated, and detained in hospital against their wishes. However, this will only ever be done if the individual is at risk of harming themselves and others. So we always have to look at risk why people stay within hospitals. I imagine, and I'm probably right here, that this was also the case with asylums, but as we know, very controversial practices went, took place in asylums, didn't they, Craig? And people were often detained there when they were perfectly sane. Yes, you yeah, know? absolutely. And for very, as we'll look at later, for very nefarious reasons and horrific abuse took, took place in, in these institutions. Uh, being held under the Mental Health Act is referred to as being sectioned. When this happens, the following the criteria must apply. Three individuals, these all have to be professionals, must agree that the individual in question needs to be sectioned. This includes an improve, approved mental health professor or the nearest relative, a doctor who has specialist training in psychiatry and a registered mental health practitioner usually a second GP. What's interesting about asylums as well is generally kept patients, They, on, on contrary to the mental health hospitals of today, generally kept people for long-term stays. So people were normally in them, if not for the majority, for the rest of their lives. But the Care and the Community Act allowed psychiatric hospitals to be run by the state and government and placed emphasis on short-term stays. Many asylums, obviously, as we know, are now stand abandoned. And obviously, we need to be very clear on this, the United Kingdom was not the only place in which asylums operated. Asia, Europe, the United States and South America all had operational lunatic asylums also. There's a very famous one in South Korea actually which is closed and I think as far as I'm aware I think there's still asylums operating now that don't function as mental health hospitals but they're in more impoverished areas of the world. Sure. Yeah, I completely agree with that. What do you think about kind of what we've discussed there before we get on to kind of I know know you're itching to give me goth he's just the bollocks Um, but what what do you think about that Greg? What do you think about the practice and 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 how it's kind of changed? I know we're going to talk about the next episode but what, what do you think now? Do you think there's been significant strides or yeah i would say there's definitely been an improvement in mental health care now certainly and we will cover that in part b but my honest opinion about how asylums were used in the past diabolical Mm -hmm. really 
we only have to look at representations of the asylum, which we'll get onto later. Uh, but as a preview, you know, the asylum in American, American Horror Story. Sure. It was absolutely appalling mm-hmm. and very frightening, mm-hmm. to be honest. These, uh, these mad people can find that are there to kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is absolutely untrue, by the way, just the record. It is untrue, indeed. So I want now to move on to our Irving Goffman. Lord he, and Saviour. He, he could not be here with us today because <laughs> he is dead. And we is did, he dead? Out of interest, did he die? I believe he did. He did die. Rest in yes. peace. We um we could, we couldn't summon him and his spirit today. We, tr- I- no, we did try though, guys. Again, we we say once we always do. We did. We'll try. He argues that he wants to stress the perception of losing one's mind is based on culturally derived and socially integrated stereotypes as a significance of symptoms such as hearing voices, losing temporal and spatial orientation and sensing that one is being followed and that many of the most spectacular and convincing of these symptoms in some instances psychiatrically signify mere temporary emotional upset in stressful situations as Callum experienced today <laughs> <laughs> that's an inside joke indeed it is however terrifying I think I experience that every day I, I feel that you do yes however terrifying to the person at the time similarly the anxiety consequent upon the perception of oneself and the strategies devised to reduce this anxiety are not a product of abnormal psychology but would be exhibited by any person socialised into our culture who came to conceive himself or herself to edit Goffman there slightly or themselves indeed um, as somebody who's losing one's mind Sure, that's a, that's a really interesting point, isn't it, Craig? And he, he was, what I will give Goffman, he was very ahead of his time in how he, how he saw asylums and how he saw mental health. And uh, I think what he very much touches on is that actually it's quite normal to lose one's mind living in the society that we do. And that by putting people within asylums, actually what, what we're doing is institutionalising them, we're not actually helping them. No, we are just predicating the sort of presence of despair, Mm -hmm. really, and the idea of the isolation. In the past, it was used as a treatment. And now, if we look at today, that's definitely the opposite. Sure, yeah, you're completely right, Craig. If you think about kind of... Mental health hospitals now, I mean, of course, there are secure mental health hospitals where things are a lot more locked down, which is obviously for the person's well-being. There is there is something about, you know, they are very much social areas. People integrate with one another. They do very normal things. There's PlayStations. You watch telly. You listen yeah. to music. You write. You eat together. Obviously, of course, like I said, yes, people are kept separate if they're under under serious uh, risk, for example, of criminally insane. But ordinarily, they're fairly normal places, aren't they, Craig? It's, it's just a place where you go for treatment. And you can actually, there's something we didn't put down, you can voluntarily section yourself as well. You can. Yeah. And I have often wondered whether I should do that. True. <laughs> Personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is that something that you think about a lot with your own mental health? Mm-hmm. I do feel like I'm mm-hmm. going slightly um, diplomatically in some cases. I actually thought you were going to quote Queen then and go, I'm something slightly mad. Sorry, I wasn't that well rehearsed. <laughs> uh, we're now going to move on to the ideas of malpractice yeah. in asylums. Because we know notoriously, Craig, that asylums are, you know, when we think of them now, we don't think of a place of, of kindness and treatment. We think of a place of malpractice, of cruelty, well, of abhorrence, abhorrence, don't we? Mm -hmm. And the idea of institutionalisation and that of the total institutionalisation, according to Goffman, it can be defined as a place of residence and work where a large number of like-shifted, like-situated, apologies, like-situated individuals cut off from the wider society for an appreciable, appreciable, appreciable amount of time together. Goffman was very 
intelligent guys. He uses words that are impossible to pronounce. And <laughs> I certainly can't understand. Can't get a tongue around them. Go on. It was an enclosed and formally administered round of life, basically. And prisons serve as a clear example of this, providing that we appreciate what is prison-like about prisons is found in institutions whose members have broken no laws. This volume details, Goffman is obviously talking about his volume, this volume details total institution in general, and one example, mental hospitals in particular. The idea of total institutions, there is a basic split between a large managed group, conveniently called inmates, and a small supervisory staff. Inmates typically live in the idea of the institution and have restricted contact with the world outside the walls. The staff often operate on an hour day and are socially integrated into the outside world and particularly one of the treatments that was used in asylums were lobotomies or leukoectomies. Yeah, that's what it was otherwise known as. Mm, mm. And this was a form of psychosurgery, a neurosurgical treatment of mental disorder that involves severing connections in the brain's peripheral cortex. Most of the connections to this and from the peripheral cortex and the anterior part of the frontal lobes of the brain were severed. I think I remember while watching Ratchet on Netflix mm -hmm. how that was done. True. That was done with a, a mallet and a, and a screwdriver through the eye, I yes, believe. that's right. And I believe another practice that he used to use was that they would put tweezers up the nose and give the brain a shake. Really? As well. I yeah. didn't know that. And it didn't, didn't, there was another one where they drilled a hole in the head and put kettle water in as well. I haven't come there was, there, was a, there was a few. I know, I'm aware of a couple of ways that they would practice it, but absolutely horrific. And I mean, obviously, it's hard, isn't it? Because if you think about it now, back then, they actually genuinely thought that they were doing something that would help patients. And it's kind of hard to be... Well, no, it's not. It's very easy to be angry at them. But, but it's mm -hmm. also kind of confusing because there's something about they thought they were doing that for the greater good. They thought they were genuinely mm. helping the patient. Absolutely. And, and looking at it from the current perspective... It certainly just was madness. It's diabolical, yeah. isn't it? It's, and that, that's what's interesting. Is, you know, you hear that old, you know, we talk about how vocabulary with asylums is who let the who let the lunatic take over the asylum, isn't it? And it, yeah. that's what it feels like with those surgeons and the psychiatric the psychiatrists. It's like, what on earth were you thinking? Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, within hindsight, medical science has improved. I get all that, and treatment of psychiatrists improved, but. It just seems so barbaric and so obvious that something would go wrong, isn't it? Yeah, and I think perhaps there's an interesting dichotomy between that of the patient mm -hmm. and that of the staff member. Certainly. And I think perhaps the staff member is the mad one. Absolutely. I would in, that, in that context. I would completely agree with that. I think that... Whilst I don't doubt that there were certainly mentally ill people in asylums, I think they were far from the problem. I think the problem was the people that were looking at, well, I use that verse comes, looking after them in there. Sure. You know. I agree. That's what you want to start. Would you like me to read this bit? Yeah, you can read that bit. Is it another quote from Gotham? No, it certainly isn't. It's just keeping on from your. Lobotomy bit? Lobotomy. Yeah, it was. So occasionally other conditions, um, as may, have you done this bit, as a mainstream procedure in some Western countries for more than two decades, that's lobotomy. So it was constantly there for a while within Western countries. Despite general recognition of frequent and serious side effects, some patients improved in some ways after the operations, but complications and impairments, sometimes severe, were, in, were frequent. The procedure was controversial from its initial use, in part due to the balance between benefits and risks. It is mostly rejected 
accepted as, as humane form of treatment now to preserve patient rights. So what's interesting is lobotomy actually did somewhat improve certain patients in certain ways and certain functions, mm. but ultimately it was it was almost like it was used as kind of a we know this is risky, but we'll do it anyway mm. and see and see what happens. And I think see it feels like more often than not it left tremendous yeah tremendous damage. I think I remember reading something that said the lobotomy was particularly useful and um, OCD. Oh, really? Yes, in some ways. I, I believe it was. Shake of the brain and it kind of goes away. Mm. That, I'm not sure I believe that myself. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't believe a lot of what comes out of those things. It, it, interestingly, the originator of the procedure, it was a Portuguese neurologist called Antonio Igas Moniz. Um, he shared the Nobel Prize for Physiology of Medicine in, of 1949 for the discovery of the therapeutic value of leukotomy in certain psychoses. Although the awarding of the prize has now been subject to controversy... I wonder why. Hmm. Let's think about that. Yes, uh, it's quite obvious. Moniz, I think you should probably hand that back if you're still alive, but that's just my opinion. I, I, interestingly, Craig, as well, people who were lobotomized as well and who were placed in asylums often were not mentally ill. A key example of this, which I'm sure will massively trigger us both as feminists, is a woman who had a baby out of wedlock or who committed adultery could be put, committed to an asylum and subjected to a lobotomy and other forms of treatment and that comes to us from Hyde 2014 mm. what do you think about that because it goes back to that thing again about women doesn't it being insane permit me to swear please it, it, it's bullshit mm -hmm. it's bullshit they were talking i.e. the old psychiatrists and Freud often talk about the idea of hysteria mm -hmm. being the wandering womb and that the womb moves around the body mm -hmm. And causes that hysteria. And that is why women were often subjected to hysterectomies. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't move around the body. Mm -hmm. It stays exactly where it is. Mm -hmm. What a load of rubbish. Mm -hmm. And it's something about as well that women have it's always So patriarchal. Been... Absolutely. And it's, I think there's a key problem, Craig, of, well... Women have always been portrayed wrongly as hysterical creatures, mm. haven't they? Who should not be believed and kind of are just very melodramatic. And it feels like psychiatry certainly, and asylum certainly perpetuated that stereotype, didn't it? Mm -hmm. It really did. You know, and it feels almost like, you know, oh, oh she's making, she, you know, she's had a baby out of wedlock. Yeah, get that one under control, get her in the asylum, get her, you know, get her mm -hmm. lobotomized and everything will be okay. It certainly feels that way, doesn't it? Sure. You know, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it's something about as well, I think, about a woman being free. They couldn't handle the idea of a woman being free. So if a woman chose to sleep with a man that she wanted to, you know, like, for example, committing adultery, that they were very much like, no, she needs to be reined in. She needs to go to mm -hmm. be put into an asylum, you know, which is absolutely barbaric. Yeah. You know? It's the idea of taking away somebody's freedom. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Certainly. Other malpractices from asylums include electroshock therapy, which we are well aware is still used now more humanely within psychiatric hospitals and very effective. I believe there's a famous guy who had it a certain amount of times. He's called Electro Boy, apparently a best-selling novel on it, which I do intend to read at some point. I think I also, just to interject there mm -hmm. slightly, I think I watched a, a documentary on Louis Theroux back mm -hmm. in 2017, and he spoke to a patient mm -hmm. who had had depression. Mm -hmm. But after having electrotherapy, electroconvulsive therapy, mm. she was a completely different person. Fantastic. And it does show that, you know, it does work in some cases, mm. but that doesn't still excuse how barbaric the situation was Certainly. to be used Certainly. I think in the past. I think you said it was done with without any anesthesia and yeah. pain relief, and it was also an incredible amount of volts that were put through the body as well. I think yeah. it often resulted in serious injury and even death. Primarily through the head mm. at the beginning. Certainly. And you said earlier, uh, well, while we were discussing and preparing for this episode, Callum mentioned to me that nowadays it's often done through the 
around. Through the fingers, I've seen. I think it's still done through the head, but I think a lot of the time they do run currents through the fingers as well. I remember seeing that on a, on a documentary somewhere as well. Cool. So, um, I think right now it's the way it's used now is very very effective, and obviously mm-hmm. I think it's something that certainly needs to be managed from a risk perspective because obviously the electricity runs that risk, doesn't it, of mm-hmm. injury and used for the right reasons. But I think if it's used and it's effective, I don't see any issue with that. Mm-hmm. Ice baths were used and not nice gym ice baths. I mean, very cold, literal, thrown in, not like getting in gently. You were thrown in there if you were hysteric and the cold was supposed to calm you down. Mm. Obviously, we know these are no longer used anymore because of the dangerous straight jackets and padded cells. And I don't know if you've seen the famous picture of the children in the psychiatric, on, on, I think it's a black and white one, it went around the internet, of being chained to radiators around the neck. Yeah, they used to chain them to radiators as well to keep them quiet. Oh, God. I'll see if I can find it for you later. If we can put it in a link for the thing here, that might be quite interesting. Sure. It's quite a famous picture. It goes around quite a lot. I haven't seen it, but that'd be good to watch. No, certainly. What does that do for you hearing about those about those points? It horrifies me. Mm. It seems like they're not forms of treatment. Mm. It Drake seems Holland. like they're forms of torture. Mm. I would agree with that. I would agree. Punishment. It's like you're going up to the Tower of London, doesn't it, as opposed to a, somewhere yeah. you're supposed to go for treatment. These are, these are two that Craig put in that I'm actually been aware of. Rotational therapy involved spinning the individuals very fast with the belief that spinning would reduce the brain congestion that was causing the mental illness. That's an interesting, crazy, to use a pun there, theory on that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It, I don't have a particular reference for that. But as you well know at the moment, Callum, I'm st- studying from a level three and understanding mm-hmm. mental health mm-hmm. prior to applying for my counselling course mm-hmm. in September. Mm-hmm. And um, they use that as a fact for one of treatment options in the past really and that just shocked me I'm quite relieved that it's still not going on I thought you were going to say that's one of the treatment options you can use now it's like oh my goodness we haven't moved on too much I don't think we're still I, spinning people around I think maybe that might be the last resort <laughs> <laughs> yeah if all else fails we'll spin them I'm surprised no one injured themselves for being dizzy doing Mm, I know. I, I did actually know about this one, insulin coma therapy. As the, as the name suggests, this involved putting individuals into a coma using insulin. This therapy came about in the 1920s when a doctor accidentally put two of his patients into this type of coma. And when they awoke, their addictions had disappeared. Trying to cure mental illness in this way was not successful and often resulted in an individual's death. I wonder why. Mm. Note that the doctor withheld his name. I wonder why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're laughing, dear listeners, this is very serious, but th- this, is, this is what's quite interesting. These tests are so barbaric, it's laughable that somebody actually thought that this was this yeah. was a good idea. I mean, maybe, okay, we've got the benefit now of medical science and we, you know, it, it, things have come a long way, but hearing these things, it's kind of like, how on earth did you think that this was going to be a good idea? It, it doesn't seem logical in any way. No. It seems not. destructive, really. Certainly not. I had, I had to include this as well, Craig, from my uh, criminology day. Inmates were frequently subjected to physical, mental and sexual abuse. And a fact of this as well, Jimmy Savile sexually abused inmates at Broadmoor while serving at its voluntary entertainment officer so he actually had a key and could go in people's cells and abuse them oh my goodness what do you think so he was given that that amount of power by the people around the asylum he has no mental health training did they do any background checks no nope. well to be honest with how much the bbc covered up i'm not surprised that mm. nobody knew but it's still horrifying isn't it and i'm sure they certainly must have known what was going on i feel flabbergasted mm. by that Absolutely repulsive, isn't it? Absolutely mm. repulsive. And this will be something very close to your heart, Craig, as well. The disabled were often placed into asylums, particularly those with Down syndrome and physical deformities. Mm. So, yeah, if you were if you were anyway disabled, um, your parents did have the choice to keep you, actually, when, when asylums were operational. But obviously, back then, as we're well aware, places, the, the world was gen- genuinely not created for people with disabilities. So it was seen as the kinder, and I'm saying this with a bit of confidence, dear listener, kinder thing to do to place a person with disability or... 
if they had um, long-term uh, neurological conditions, such as you know, Down syndrome, for example, which creates and affects mm. them physically with the chromosomes, uh, they were placed within an asylum. I believe it was Nancy Astor mm-hmm. who was the first female to take a, a seat in parliament mm-hmm. that actually said do you know what we should put them all together mm-hmm. in the same home for disabled mm-hmm. people wow. so that the rest of society doesn't have to look at them sure and also it's not as if that they'll be on their own they'll have their friends there yeah. almost like that that would in in some way take away the pain of being separated from the family and the wider society. I mean, as a, as a disabled man, Craig, and obviously, you know, as a fellow disabled, you know, I'm not physically disabled, but I'm, I'm, you know, I've got bipolar disorder. And if we were looking into asylums, if me and you were born 60 years ago, 70 years ago, we would, I definitely be put in there because of my, because I have had episodes like that. And it's likely that it's a possibility that yourself might have gone in there as well. And also because mm. of your, your own mental health problems. Yeah. What does that do for you? I mean, for me, it makes me feel really sad and quite horrified that that is my, that would have been probably, my fate. Yes. It, it, I, I am obviously Mullivane, mm-hmm. but to look on the positive side, at least we would have still met. Possibly. It depends if we were sent to the same one, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. And we probably would have been in different sections, to be honest, because weren't the physical and the mentally disabled kept apart, I believe? I, possibly. I, I'm not sure. I believe segregation was key. Right. Okay. Which is uh, rather horrifying, isn't it? It is. What a prospect. Yeah. But talking of segregation, Craig, would you like to read this, these next two points that I'd like that I dig, dug up ones from Davis 2019? Oh, yeah, of course, no problem. So, Davis 2019 argues that asylums are often created in their own communities with shops, laundrettes, bakeries, chapels and being on the grounds. And there was also a place to segregate inmates from the wider society. So again, that just exemplifies mm. the point that we were talking about. It's like it's almost like Craig, isn't it? If, if they can't go into society, we can't put them into society, we'll create their own society in there. Mm. You know, we'll put bakers in there, we'll put laundrettes in there, we'll put chapels in there, so they don't mm. need to go out. You know, they don't need to be seen. Yeah. And I suppose that mini-society was under the control of the warden sure, or sure, sure. whoever. And it seems like they were trying to make it normal mm-hmm. in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. But the, the, the process of asylums and prisons in general, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, is to rehabilitate. Certainly, yeah. It, more, more so in the past. Once all the horrifying stuff had mm-hmm. gone, it was seen as a place to rehabilitate yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm. as we've seen with asylums and, and prisons, they don't work. Mm. You know, you know, I think prisons, I know they're not relevant right now, but I think prisons have something like a 94% reoffending rate, don't they, or something mm. like that? Yeah. You know? Mm. That's, um, That's why I'm an abolishist. Yeah. Mm. And then, of course, we've got passageways, what? were created under cities um, inmate, for inmates to go from cathedrals and churches. To go to from the asylums. Yeah, so that they weren't actually seen out in broad daylight. Mm. And that, that idea of segregation, that they had to go underground mm. in order to go to their church. Mm. Chaperoned all the way there. It doesn't sit right with me. No, the mind boggles, doesn't it? Mm. Not too many puns. And... You say here that there is still one in Chester Cathedral. There is one underneath. Underneath. From, from the, it goes from the Countess of Chester, because near there was where their asylum was, which I believe is now abandoned or converted, I can't remember. Mm. But it goes under there to the to where the cathedral is. I don't know if it's still active, I don't know if you can still go in it, but there certainly is one still there, because uh, one of my... I think it was Paul. Paul told me. So. I didn't know that. Mm. I didn't know that. And, of course, 
the idea of the asylum has not really gone away. It's still present yeah, in absolutely. our cultural context. Yeah, as we've discussed there, we've used several phrases, haven't we? Mm. Particularly one of my most enjoyable films to watch. Mm. Here's one for Over the Cookies Nest. Mm-hmm. It is a dark comedy. Mm. I can remember the first time I watched this and Dad said to me, it's the funniest film you'll ever watch. Mm. And I was like, it's a serious, a serious commentary. Mm -hmm. And I was genuinely expecting not to laugh, Mm -hmm. but I did. Mm -hmm. I laughed. And I can see that that is why it's a dark comedy. Sure. Oh, sure. Or a black comedy, sure. yeah, they call def- that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Arkham Asylum yeah. in Batman. I, yeah. I'm not a Batman specialist, so... Yeah, it, 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 no, no, that's one. the that's the Batman... Well, it's, in, it's on the outskirts of Gotham. It's uh, for the criminally insane, so where all Batman's rogue gallery go to, more or less, apart from a few. I think Bane doesn't go there. I think they go to Blackgate Prison, but people like the Joker, Two-Face, Scarecrow, Poison Ivy, they all are housed in Arkham Asylum. So even, even there... The, there's, a, there's even a, a book on it, a not graphic novel called um, Arkham Asylum at a Serious House on Serious Earth, which is a phenomenal read. Mm. Um, I didn't mention as well in there another film that, that they show it is in Bronson. I've not seen in Bronson, that. yeah, when he because he was sent to an asylum as well, which that shows quite a strong representation of what, what it was like as well. Okay. Um, and one thing I've got down here is Arkham Sanatorium, mm. uh, which is a sanatorium that was mentioned in H.P. Lovecraft, The Thing on the Doorstep. That's actually where Arkham gets its name from. I've not actually read that story. No, seriously, yeah, that's where Batman gets his name from. Wow. Where where the Arkham in Batman gets his name from. That's quite something. So the sanatorium had a malevolent reputation for its malpractices and disturbing staff members. The locations been to have believed to be influenced by Danvers State Hospital, as Lovecraft featured the hospital in some of his stories, testifying Danvers' incredulously unsettling background. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we've got Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. Don't know whether we should break out into song here. Which bit? <laughs> There's no place like London. How's that? Well, uh, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, I can't sing. Before the, before the, uh, before the listeners tune out to us both. But it also does show Bedlam, mm-hmm. apparently. It does. And then we've got the representation of The Asylum by Patrick McGrath. Mm-hmm. He, he wrote an entire book, fictional, although it was based autobiographically, mm-hmm. autobiographically on his own experience mm-hmm. as a governor mm-hmm. of a hospital, Whoa. wasn't it? Okay. I, I, I think he was a... I didn't actually know that. I think he was actually a psychiatrist. Right, that's really, that's really interesting. So if you're out there, Patrick, we'd love to interview you. Probably wouldn't, but yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking, Patrick. If you want to come on, I'm kidding. But then also, we've got Susanna Cason's Girl Interrupted and Susanna Cation. Uh, Susanna Cation's. It was a partially autobiographical novel um, and it features Claymore. And after experiencing a nervous breakdown, Susanna Cason was actually admitted to Claymore in the film. Mm. But in the book, Claymore was based on McLean, uh, where Case, where Cason was treated in Belmont, Massachusetts. Um, there were some isolated hiccups of both institutions being portrayed as efficient and positive mm. in that context. And I dug up some quotes from the actual book uh, because I studied this book in representing madness Mm -hmm. as part of my final year at Chester. And two of the quotes that I pulled up were, the hospital specialised in poets and singers, or was it the poets and singers who specialised in madness? Mm, That's powerful. Yeah, it really is. And the other quote I pulled up was, every room in Alcatraz has a view of San Francisco. 
Wow. And the, the idea of like incarceration, mm-hmm. the idea of punishment almost yeah. being present in that. Certainly. Across from the bay. Um, mm. And if, if our dear listeners haven't read Girl Interrupted, I would certainly recommend that you read that at some point in your lives. But then, of course, we've also got American Horror Story. I've seen that, you know. Have you not? I've got the DVD. Have you really? I'll let you lend the DVD. Um, so there was Briar Cliff Manor in season two, uh, and it was set in an entire asylum <laughs> run by nuns. <laughs> so season two of the American Horror Story was the backdrop. It was originally a tuberculosis hospital, <laughs> which was later adapted into a facility for the criminally insane. And it was run by the cruel Sister Jude. Season 2's production designer, Mark Worthington, revealed that Briarcliff was based on several mental institutions and, for, and, and former tuberculosis hospitals. So they've obviously taken yeah. those contexts yeah. and put it all in to make their own set and their own designs there. And the creator of the show, Ryan Murphy, explained that the season was a loose homage to the reporter of Geraldo Rivera's expose of the Woodlock State Mental Hospital. Yeah, like you said, I think that unveiled years of emotional, physical and sexual abuse among its child patients. Um, there's also Shutter Island, Ashcliffe's Hospital for the Criminally Insane. In Dennis Lahani's novel, Ashcliffe's, uh, where protagonist Teddy Daniels investigated the disappearance of a patient who murdered her three children. The setting was based on Long Island in Boston Harbour and a minimum security mental institution that's located there. Um, the one you mentioned before, Craig Ratched in Netflix 2020, Life of Mildred Ratched Before One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, set in a leading psychiatric hospital in california if you haven't seen it it's interesting to watch okay. uh, from hell which is obviously the film and comic book based on on the jack the ripper's crimes that shows a lobotomy taking place in an asylum ironically to a woman who has i think she's committed adultery or, or run away or something like that so uh, mm. uh, the horror film the wolfman um, the original and remake that shows an asylum and an ice bath taking place as well um, the language we use i.e lunatic here come the white coats it's bedlam in here are again all representations who let the dogs out who let the dogs out uh, are all representations um, again that come from asylums so mm. yeah massively powerful stuff and it's obviously something that still plays a massive part within our society um, and obviously I know, I know we're coming to end the part A now Craig but as a final thought from me I think it's just I mean I know we've improved massively in terms of human rights perspective, but the, the asylums and people who run them, they, they still to this day have a lot to answer for. Don't they do, they do. And even now, I suppose there are people out there in the 70s and 80s yeah, yeah. that will remember going to the asylums because they live there yeah, in certainly, some cases. Certainly. I think I think he was treated for epilepsy as well. If you had epilepsy, you was on yeah. asylums as well, weren't you? So, mm-hmm. yeah, massive. Um but yeah, I think that was a, a very good place, I think, to end part on. I don't know about you, Craig, but I'm very happy with that. I agree. Fantastic. So we'll see you next week, dear listener. For part two.